Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back. This is Podcast 353. Kurt Mortensen here to welcome you to Maximize Your Influence, where we take a deep dive into persuasion, motivation, and influence. And today we're going to talk about those subconscious triggers. How do you persuade the subconscious mind? We're going to have a persuasion blunder, and we're going to talk about the next beauty trend, because the better you look, the more persuasive you are. And of course, we've got some listener email. Hope things are going well. Was on a road trip this last week. Good to see people getting out and about. I also did a webinar on how to create that perfect persuasive presentation and started teaching a university class again. Good to have people back. Good to be face-to-face. Of course, they're taking precautions, but it's good to see faces. It's good to mingle a little bit. It's feeling good. Hopefully, things start returning to normal, whatever that new normal is going to be. Let's kick it off with our geeky scholarly article. This comes from Indiana University, the University of Pennsylvania, in the journal from the nonprofit and voluntary sector and Sarah Conrath. This is talking about being generous is being generous the next beauty trend. This is interesting stuff. So we've always known, especially if you've read anything from Arthur Brooks, that giving has positive effects to the person who is giving. It increases happiness, confidence, and even your health. There's just something about giving your time, energy, and resources to other people. But they're also thinking out, and there's another potential thing going on here. You actually look better. It actually enhances your physical attractiveness. And you're like, what? So they found that more attractive people are more likely to be givers, and these givers are rated as more attractive. And if you ever read any philosophy, you know that there's always been a link between high morals and physical beauty. I mean, there's always been a correlation there, but now they went back to figure it out. Are individuals who undertake more giving behaviors rated as more physically attractive? But then there's the reverse. Are the more physically attractive people more likely to undertake these giving behaviors? And when they found it comes to older adults, volunteering and giving affection were related to higher attractiveness ratings. And when it came to young people, those who volunteered rated higher on the attractive scale. And the studies found that being rated as a little more attractive was associated with a little more generosity. So they're kind of correlated. When you're looking good, you're giving more. When you're giving more, you're looking good. So they said you can use these beauty products to increase your attractiveness. But of course, generosity and being generous is going to be the next beauty trend. So in maximum influence, if you've ever studied the law of connectivity, we know the better you look, the easier it is to persuade people. Now, I'm not talking about drop-dead gorgeous or handsome. That's a little intimidating, but just looking good the best you can, known as the halo effect. When you look good, people think you're smarter, more trustworthy, more credible, more competent just by how you look. That is the halo effect. It could be a function of height, a weight, general appearance, some things we can fix, some things we can't. That's important. When you have better people skills people rate you as more attractive. And here's an interesting one out of the Journal of Personal Relationships. This was in Maximum Influence. Personalities. Because some people we meet have attractive personalities and some have ugly personalities. A study was done about how attractive personality affected the ability to influence. 
See, participants were asked to rate the attractiveness of these photographs. And these photographs had a full range of differences. Some were given positive personality characteristics about the person in the photo, and others were given negative characteristics. And the positive traits were things like extroverted, agreeable, conscientious, open, and stable. And those pictures were gauged to be more attractive, the ones with the positive traits, than the ones with the negative traits. In fact, another study showed that yearbook pictures were shown to both men and women. And they were also assigned various negative personality traits and positive personality traits. Again, it was found that the pictures with the positive personality traits were rated more attractive and the negative personality traits were less attractive. And this occurred with pictures of the, both the attractive and unattractive students. And this happened both for men and women, although women tend to be a little bit more sensitive to the negative personality information than men. So you want to look better? Work on your personality, work on your people skills, have more confidence, and start giving back. That simple. That is the Geeky Scarly article of the week. Time for the persuasion blunder. Don't, don't, don't. This was at the mall. This happened a while back. And they have these kiosks at the mall. People rent those. They pay money for those. And they hire teenagers many times to take care of the booth. But here's this teenager in the booth, in the mall, playing on the cell phone, not making eye contact with anybody, had a frown. You could tell they had a little attitude. And who is going to go to that booth? They had no ownership. They didn't care, obviously. They're hourly. They're there just to put in the hours. They're not there to be proactive. A, you should put this person on commission. I don't know if that would help or not, but at least they'd be a little more proactive and there's a direct correlation between what they were doing in that store and that kiosk than just sitting there with the frown, looking mad with an attitude, playing on the cell phone. Who's going to approach you? Now, a few people might. If they really need what you have, they might interrupt you. And I actually saw someone person do that, and they were kind of taken back that someone would interrupt them while they're on their cell phone. <laughs> You're there to sell something, to be friendly, to make eye contact, to approach people, to be persuasive. So be careful. Some people just don't have the ownership you have to do what you want to do. And that comes back to you. When you want people to approach you, are you smiling? Are you making eye contact? Are you dinking on your phone? Are you like me, suffering from RBF, where you have a frown when you're neutral, you have to be careful. I have to be careful when I've done trade shows, when I do conventions, when I do a keynote address, when I'm sitting on the stand, when I'm preparing for a seminar. I have to be careful because it's that first impression. I've asked people before, they're like, oh, they're angry, they're upset, they're mean, they're not a good person. And that's not true. I try to be very friendly, but sometimes you get so engaged, so involved, you're missing the eye contact. Looks like you have a bad attitude. You're not smiling. So it was something we can all learn from. We're like, well, duh, they shouldn't do that. It's a teenager. Well, of course, but we're all guilty of that. Our tone of voice over the phone, how we answer the phone, our eye contact. Can they tell if we're smiling? Can they tell if we're smiling through the mask? Are our eyes smiling with their eyes? Those are things that we can learn from this blunder. So don't think it's just them. This is something we can all work on to be more approachable. And the more approachable you are, you're more likable. And as we talked about today, when you're more likable, it's easier to persuade people. So let's do this. We haven't done one of these for a while. The Persuasion IQ Question of the Week. And of course, if you're interested, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You can take your free Persuasion IQ assessment, see where you rank. And I've got some freebies for you to help me with your research. And it helps you to identify some of those areas that you can improve to become a better persuader, to increase your income, to be more likable, and to take your life to the next level. Now, careful, we don't sugarcoat it. We're going to give you the results, but it will definitely be worth your while. So here's one of the questions, and I've talked about this on the show before. 
I know this is a numerical type question. You should get this one. I've brought it up a lot. This is the foundation of maximum influence. What percent of the decision-making process takes place in the subconscious mind? A, 55%, B, 65%, C, 75%, D, 85%, E, 95%. What is the answer? The answer is E, it's 95% of all influence involves a subconscious trigger. And you're like, what's that? It's a feeling. I like them, I don't like them, I trust them, I don't trust them. And we know most persuasion involves this feeling, this emotion. And this is the foundation of influence. In his book, Triggers, Joseph Sugarman estimated it was 95%. And it's in other studies that talk about these subconscious triggers. In other words, most buying, most persuasion is done for a reason a person hasn't even thought about or fully thought through. Dr. Gregory Nieder estimates that our brains actually run on idle most of the time. Let's face it, thinking's hard work. It's human nature to conserve energy. And here's an interesting fact. Thinking burns three times more calories than watching TV. So what are these reasons we choose not to think? Well, sometimes the information available is so overwhelming we don't even attempt to digest any of it. It's too much. And sometimes the decisions aren't that important to warrant all that effort, all that research, to go through all that information to make a decision. So consciously and subconsciously, from all the bombardment of information we receive, we selectively choose what we will acknowledge and what we will ignore. Whether we realize it or not, we love those shortcuts to thinking. That's why we don't research the product all the time or look at the consumer guide. Instead, we might rely on the salesperson for their opinion or our friends or the internet, or we might buy the most expensive or the cheapest or what we've bought in the past. And a lot of people won't admit this, but sometimes we'll buy it because of the color, the packaging, or even the smell. So we have this logical mind and this emotional instinct, the subconscious trigger. And this 95% we're talking about, these subconscious triggers, this emotional instinct, this occurs in the subconscious mind. It occurs without our awareness. It just feels right. So our brain is processing all this information around us. It's bringing it in. And this happens unconsciously, which triggers our subconscious mind. The key is to balance that logical side, the conscious side, and the emotional or subconscious side during your presentations, during your persuasion. Now, when I talk about subconscious triggers, I mean things like a smell, a perfume or cologne from an old boyfriend or girlfriend, boom, our olfactory system, you're transported back, you get a feeling. And of course, that feeling could be a positive feeling or a negative feeling, depending on the breakup. And music that increases your adrenaline level. Maybe you meet somebody and something they did just disgusts you, you're not sure why. Color that makes you hungry, a word that makes you tense, liking someone you just met for no apparent reason, the tone of someone's voice that's an instant turn on or turn off, those are subconscious triggers. Even the color of food. Heinz came out with green ketchup. And that feeling you're feeling when you're thinking about that, oh, that's a trigger. That's, no, ketchup's red. Even though in blind taste tests, people loved it, it did not sell. People don't want green ketchup. They don't want clear colas. They don't want white margarine. They don't want red sleeping pills. All those are triggers. So the key here is to get on both sides, the logic and emotion with everybody you attempt to persuade. Top persuaders know optimal persuasion appeals to both the logic and instinct, that subconscious trigger. And for most people, the majority, emotion is a more powerful motivator. But across the board, we still need to use logic. Why? Because after the emotional energy has faded away, your audience still needs those facts, that concrete knowledge to fall back on. The elation of the moment is temporary and does you little effect in the long run. It helps persuade them in the short term, but long term they still need the logic. 
So the logical component of your approach gives you a way to sustain the momentum long after the persuasion encounter has passed. Now again, emotion inspires us to take action, but logic justifies those actions. And we know that great persuaders integrate emotion and logic to best serve the situation, the personality type, the culture, or even the age group. Understand that gestures, word choice, vocal tone, demeanor can all create a subconscious trigger, positive or negative. So be more aware this week in balancing both sides of the emotion-logic equation. So take away from that. The brain loves shortcuts. It's just too much energy to think about it. If you went to the store to go buy shampoo, you don't have time to analyze it. Research each one, cost per ounce, ingredients. It has egg whites. It has wheat germ. It has manure. You don't have time to do all that. You have shortcuts. That's why companies fight that shelf that's right in front of people's eyes. That's why sugar cereals is on the eye level of your kids. It's important. Some have a shortcut just based on color or smell. They buy the cheapest, the most expensive, the one with the coupon, the one someone's recommend, the one their parents bought. We have these shortcuts that we create, all part of those subconscious triggers. And we have enough time for listener email. Oh, boy. And of course, you know, if I use your email on the show, you get the gold version of InfluenceUniversity.com, which is the advanced training. Everything I've done in one spot trickled out to you. You can go as fast, as slow as you want. There's a download of the month of all my products. You can check it out at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's also the place where you can check out the archives and get my free book, the new edition of Maximum Influence. Just pick up a little shipping and handling. This is Aubrey from Virginia. She says, hey, I'm going through the psychology of objections. Also put a link on that with a special deal at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. So she goes on to say she's going through psychology of objections. She says, I'm persuading with power. I've already seen an increase in income. She says, how do I get prospects, but especially coworkers to keep their deadlines? Some people, it's not an issue, but I see more and more in the workplace. You give someone a deadline, they don't keep it. That could be a prospect. That could be a child. That could be a coworker. Please help me. How can I help people keep their deadlines? And would you consider deadlines a law of scarcity or law of involvement? Well, it could be a little both, but it's probably going to be more of the law of scarcity. And let's take a look at this. Let's take a deep dive. I also recorded a video while back on YouTube, the YouTube channel, Maximize Your Influence on Deadlines and Working with Deadlines. But let's talk about some good practices here to help people keep their deadlines. Now, first of all, with deadlines, you want to be clear and specific. Have people repeat back to you exactly what you want them to do. And be careful here. You have to monitor, do they really get it? Do they really understand? Do they have the right tools to be able to do what you're asking them to do? Engage, are they feeling a little overwhelmed? Because when the brain's overwhelmed, it shuts down and people just don't know what to do. For example, if I've been teaching seminars in Asia and I've been gone for a few weeks and I get home, my publisher has a list and my wife has a list, my kids have a list, I have all these emails I got to return and voicemails to return for the business. So much to do, I take a nap. Okay, I don't know if you relate to that. I'm sure you can. That's what happens, you're overwhelmed and that could be happening with the deadline. Another thing you can do is let them know the why. Why is there a deadline? Where is it coming from? Maybe even put in, what are the consequences if you don't do it to the project, to you, to the organization, to them? The why is really helpful. It's not just something you pulled out of the air. Here are the consequences and here are the maybe even the rewards for doing it. There's no reason you can't offer some type of reward for them to do it. Now, be careful with rewards. You don't want them to expect it every time they do it, but every once in a while, a little reward is always better than a negative consequence. 
Although sometimes, depending on the personality, you might need to use a little of both. Another thing you can do with deadlines, Aubrey, is have them choose. All right, I need it by the end of the month. When is the date you think you can get it done? And even if they choose the very last day of the month, that's okay. They chose. They made the decision. They have some ownership. They feel more autonomous. You didn't back them into a corner. They chose. So give them a range and have them choose. What is the date you want to have this done? What is realistic for you? And you're going to be surprised here. A lot of times they're not going to choose the very, very last date, but it sticks better when they choose. Another one, and you're probably good at this one, be careful, multiple reminders. Don't be the pain in the butt. And the way you get past this is multiple reminders from multiple people. There's no reason you can't have other people remind them, but also not only other multiple people, but multiple ways. Maybe it's in a meeting. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's a pop-in. Maybe somebody else is doing that. So I would say multiple reminders, multiple people in multiple ways can be very helpful. Not the same thing over and over again. You don't want to do the pop-up every time, the annoying email every time. Do it in different ways. And always be open to them. Your door's open. You're offering to help. Make sure they have the tools. Make sure they feel it's achievable. They get it done in that amount of time. Be there for them. That could be part of your pop-in, part of the reminders to like, hey, you're okay on that? You need anything? You need any tips? Can I help you out? You need any of my time? Be open, offer the help, the tools, and they're feeling that it's achievable that they can do it. One thing we've noticed, especially as you get younger in the workplace, and this can be based on personality too, is that micro deadlines can be more persuasive for this type of person. Instead of one big overwhelming deadline, maybe it's four micro deadlines. So maybe that's something to try out. Four micro deadlines instead of one big deadline. Another thing you do too is spend the time to identify what's in it for them. How's it going to help them, the team, or the company? That could be part of the why too, but it could be a little more selfish. What's in it for them? They're going to look good. They're going to be employee of the month. The CEO is going to find out. Whatever it is, a little boost to the esteem could be what's in it for them. And don't assume they know it. Make sure you've identified something that's in it for them. Another thing in your weekly meetings, if you have those via Zoom or face-to-face, just going around the room, going around the Zoom, I guess we'll call it, getting an update where everybody is on this project. And that could be very helpful. Another helpful thing with that too is just a public announcement about the deadline. Let as many people know as possible about the deadline. And you could do that by CCing somebody or just announcing it. And you want to be careful who you CC and how often you use that. But a lot of times that could work very well. That's social pressure. Now, another piece of social pressure, you want to be careful this one too. We could call this social shaming is where there's a spreadsheet online And if you've turned it in, it's green. If you have it, it's red. You send it out in an email. You show it in a meeting. It's pretty obvious. They're the only ones in red. They haven't done it. Everybody else has. A little social shaming, a little social pressure. Be careful how often or their personality. But that could be the thing to get people to keep their deadlines. And final one, not my favorite, uh, lie. (laughs) No, I don't want to endorse lying. But for some people that are always late, especially... People get into the airport when there's things that are just concrete. You have to have it done, whether it be traveling or a project. Maybe if you need it Friday, you should say Wednesday because some people just can't get it done. So maybe you need to fudge the numbers a little bit, fudge the time. You can do that. It'll make a huge difference in keeping those deadlines. And so there's quite a few tools there. Now, I don't think you're going to use every one every single time, but try a few tools, see what's working, adjust the tools around. Whether it be for a prospect, there are quite a few here you could use for a prospect, but these are also all geared to coworkers who are not keeping their deadlines or even teenagers or kids that aren't doing what they say they're going to do 
in a timely manner. So, Aubrey, hopefully that answers your question, and you get access to InfluenceUniversity.com, the advanced training, and you're going to get new tools every week that you could apply and use that'll make a huge difference in your success. So thanks for your email. Thanks for being here. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. We could be found under Maximize Your Influence on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Help us out. Hit like, hit subscribe, or even rate the podcast. We always appreciate it. But again, really, I appreciate your comments, your support, your emails. Thanks for being here. Thanks for learning the skills of persuasion and influence. It is one way we can change the world, make the world a better place, be more persuasive, be more influential, it'll make a huge difference. So think about it. Take something today, use it, apply it, become more influential, better at negotiation, creating a better mindset. And of course, the goal is, you know, you'll be able to go out and persuade with power.